everyone, and welcome to another episode of the all-new, all-different Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to C. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. And Adam. Hey. Uh, I, I think viewers, uh, listeners should know that we are broadcasting live from Mars. Uh, because, uh, so we're recording a little bit ahead of schedule because someone has commitments with work sorry like that gotta work nights sometimes sometimes uh so as we have uh as we are recording this uh the most recent news on the upcoming x-men line is uh coming and i think we are going to talk about it in a segment called from here to mars Yeah, well, well, maybe catch people up on your uh, your grand unified theory of Hickman Hoxpox hot pockets, um, because, <laughs> because maybe people haven't been reading the website to uh, to figure out what why we're talking about Mars. If you haven't been reading the website, and shame on you, I have a very good fan theory. It's about very good. A very good fan theory, and that's the only way I describe it, uh, about what Mr. Jonathan Hickman uh, is talking about doing in his upcoming run on the X-Men books, where he's covering uh, two six-issue miniseries to start House of X and Powers of Ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the X-Men are moving to Mars. I have a lot of really good thoughts on it, and here's the thing, guys. One, I've convinced myself that it's true. <laughs> I was I was only like 20% bought in when I started this goof. I'm at 170% now. We are I'm yeah. in this. Zach, I mean X Nahilo has X in it. <laughs> yes, that's what sold it for me. That the guy in Hickman's Avengers run who made a garden on Mars is named X Nilo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I bought his action figure for $10 at free comic book tape because I wanted to take some electrical tape and turn the uh, Greek letter Omega on his chest into an X. <laughs> take yeah. pictures of it. You know, you got to have a hobby. And uh, from what we've seen from the preview art, and this was brought up again today, we're seeing X-Men wander through portals into a Eden-like gardens. With um, red skies. Yes, I know. I'm telling you, you, uh, you may be onto something, Zach. If, if this call shot, if this called shot happens, I'm going to be insufferable. Just more insufferable <laughs> than usual. <laughs> well, we, we uh, have a little bit of time to go before this kicks off, but uh, we did get some more information about ongoings, uh, you know, that the whole line is going to stem out of these two minis. And, uh, that the X Men line that we've had for essentially the entirety of uh, friend of the show Jordan D White's run on X Men as editor has uh, come from the fact that hey we're going to be prepping for this but we need a few months. That is what it sounds like. Um, which 
you know, we've talked about that at length in another episode, but uh, that's the latest on uh, your your Hawks Pox news. Hot Pockets. Um, that's such a better name for the segment, but I don't want to get... I wanted to use the Coheed song. No, so use, bad. Use, the, use that. That that's more metal. I like it. It's good. It's pretty. It's all pretty good. We'll figure it out. But <laughs> what's also great is other X Men stories, and we have some of them to talk about today. Uh, the this this whole list comes to us from a Patreon supporter Saad Althani, and uh, Saad he uh, he wanted us to talk about uh, some stories about. About my man, uh, a, a, an X-Men I care about, and that is Scott Summers. Yeah. Yeah. Last week we got to talk about Bishop. This week we get to talk about your fave, right? Is Scott uh, your favorite? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> look, 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 look. It's weird. So there's a segment of Scott Summers fandom who absolutely loves him and thinks he's the best character. And there, I, I am in a good class with several very good thinkers and uh, philosophers on X-Men by thinking Scott Summers is the best character. Uh, and we don't need to name names, but I am just as good and smart as them. Uh, <laughs> there's also people who hate Scott Summers. Mm, yes. And they are valid, but wrong. <laughs> and then there's a third class of people. And those are people who like Scott Summers so much that they refuse to acknowledge his flaws. And I don't like to associate myself with them, with yeah, those any folks. No, Scott well, Summers works because he's a messed up human. And we've got three stories that their their thesis is, y'all, y'all, Scott Summers, Scott Summers got some issues. And it's <laughs> Scott Summers issues at three very distinct points in his life, which I really enjoy. And that was actually, uh, that's actually what Saad wanted us to uh, talk about. So number one, thank you for supporting the show on Patreon. And I really hope you like the stories we talk about because one of them is my favorite X-Men story of all time. Are you going to reveal which one beforehand or do you want the listeners to guess? <laughs> Uh, no, no, we're just going to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> okay. It's the first one, right? It's the first one we're going to talk about today. It is Uncanny X-Men Volume 2, Number 19, The Passion of Scott Summers, written by Kieran Gillen with art by uh, Dale Eagleshaw, uh, colors by Matt Miller, and very importantly, letters by VCs Joe Caramanga. That is pretty important here because uh, the the way that the text is displayed in this is uh, really, really important to the story. So it's not, it, it's not even that crazy. Uh, we'll, we'll go we'll go into lettering in just a second because rereading this because I've read this story so many times, I started to have a lot of strong opinions on the lettering, which is okay. if you've read a comic enough times to have strong opinions on the lettering, you know, you like that comic. <laughs> Um, so this is AVX, um, and this is essentially a Cyclops POV issue of what's going on inside his head. Um, as you know, he really gets to the end of the AVX story. He's Phoenix five. He's down to the Phoenix one. He's killing Xavier. And, uh, it's also serving as sort of like a very brief epilogue to his story there too. Yeah, this is, uh, this more or less takes place during AVX number 12. There's a little bit of stuff that was in 11, but mm -hmm. it works It works well to read as a companion piece. Uh, I want to set the stage for this because, as I've said, and I've, I've said this for years, 
this is my favorite X-Men issue of all time. Like single issue, this is this is number one for me as far as favorite. Now, favorite and best are two different things. And that I think that's going to be important when we go into the ranking side. And mm-hmm. I want to make sure that I'm keeping myself a healthy distance on this. Okay. But I do want to talk about this. So when I was reading the Kieran Gillen run of X-Men, I got this through Marvel's mail order service. Wow. Now, I know, right? Now, here's the, here's the thing. Um, my mom, bless her soul, I may not have told her that I was getting comics through the mail. <laughs> and I was at college at the time. So occasionally, and this happened for a couple of issues, my mom thought I was just getting junk mail from, from a company and was throwing them out. <laughs> oh, no. I eventually convinced her. I Not convinced her. I just I happened to mention. I was like, hey, mom, have you been getting packages from Marvel? And she's like, oh, were those important? <laughs> uh, but, you know, by the time AVX was going, I was, uh, you know, we were on the same page. So I read all of that stuff. I didn't read the main title, though. So hmm. my exposure to what was going on in Avengers versus X-Men came from two sources. One, the handful of articles I happened to read on IGN.com. Interesting source. They were doing a lot of comic stuff at the time. Yep. Uh, I don't know if they continue to do a lot of comic stuff. I think not as much. Primarily but they a video game website. Well, they were primarily a video game website at the time, and I liked video <laughs> games a lot more at the time than I do now, uh, just based on a time uh, basis. Uh, but between that and reading the Uncanny X-Men tie-ins to AVX, I had read issue one. I picked it up mm-hmm. on a free comic book day, uh, but that was it. So this was my point of view into the event. And what you get here in this story is, like you said, Adam, Cyclops's point of view, but not just Cyclops. This is Cyclops at full Dark Phoenix. This is him essentially going through his version of the Dr. Manhattan issue of Watchmen, where he is more than human. He is a god. He perceives things differently. But from his deep human side, he doesn't fully know what's going on. And Kieran Gillen does a master class in setting up that this is an otherworldly thing. This is beyond the realms of good and evil. This is something else. And it really works for me. There's some there's some lines in here that completely stick with me. I think the first one, and this is on like page three or something, he's talking about how angry he is and how you know everyone thinks they can save him, but he doesn't need saved. And he just says, it makes me. And then a blank mm-hmm. caption box. It forces you to fill in because he's beyond emotion. He's beyond all these things. All he is is fire and life incarnate now and forever. He is Phoenix. Yeah, so we should we should kind of set up a couple things here. First is that I'm not really familiar with Dale Eaglesham, uh, Eaglesham's work, um, but his artwork here is spectacular. Every single page is either, you know, a spread or just a, maybe a handful of panels, very, very dynamic layouts. 
um, lots of pages where the panels are laid out over sort of like volcanic fiery destruction in the background. Mm -hmm. And so the entire issue is sort of these overlapping moments in time. Um, but just as important as the gorgeous artwork here is that Gillen's text is being represented by Karamanya's um, uh, lettering here, which is very unusual in that it's a serif font. Um, it feel, which, and for people who don't know, uh, serif font means it has little lines on it instead of right. not little lines. It's Times New Roman. <laughs> Yeah, it's not what we're used to in terms of uh, in terms of a sans serif font uh, in most comics, which use uh, hand drawn lettering, and it adds a certain. I mean, the issue is called the passion of Scott Summers, uh, obviously wanting to make a biblical reference here, and it it adds to um, sort of the ostentatiousness of what is happening inside. And that's maybe not the right word, but. Um, just the the overpowering sense of what's happening here that this is major that this is important that this is you know just absolutely insane inside of his mind um that he is a god you know and that what is happening inside of him and what is happening around him is has really transformed him into a deity and we get to this point in the issue where he really goes kind of cosmic you know he's looking at the earth as a as a marble um, he's looking at the world around him as sort of a void and, uh, the, the whole thing collapses at the end and he gets this little epiphany once he gets out of, you know, once he doesn't have the Phoenix anymore and we, it, it gives us a very good perspective that we see very differently. I think in AVX as to what the difference between Scott afterwards and during really looks like. Yeah, it sets up a lot of stuff because this issue ends with Scott and Hank and Scott is in handcuffs. Mm -hmm. He's been uh, AVX is over. He's been depowered or not depowered, but de-phoenixed. And Hank lets it slip. He doesn't mean to because he doesn't want to give Scott a win. Hank lets it slip that it worked and that there's new mutants. Right. And Scott Summers says, look, I I crossed lines that I didn't know that I could or would ever cross. We reignited the mutant race, so I would do everything over the exact same way. And he walks out of that tent defiant with his arms in handcuffs up to the sky, crossed in an X, and it's so good! Yeah, it's a great character moment and it's a great setup for where, uh, obviously Bendis takes him, um, you know, in his uncanny run as sort of like the un. well, I, I don't think Bendis totally went here, but you know, the idea of him being sort of more of an unhinged terrorist, it also gives a little bit more context as to why beast would be like as livid with Scott. Um, and what's interesting about this to me is how much better this is than AVX, you know, uh, yeah, it's the best thing to come out of AVX. Yeah. And we, we've talked before about, um, Gillen's AVX tie-ins and how good they are, you know, especially the whole sinister arc. Um, but this is, if you're going to read AVX, I would say that this is kind of essential, um, to getting the full story because the art is absolutely gorgeous. The, the text is simple. It's direct. It's autobiographical. It's sort of overlapping, 
um, these layers of Scott's life. And it's, it's direct in a way that, um, AVX is, doesn't have the time or the page count necessarily to do because it's trying to shuffle all the pieces that it is doing. Yeah, this is, if you, if you want to really understand the mutant perspective on AVX and why the whole hashtag Cyclops was right group feels so vindicated and has so much going for him, uh, this, is, this is the issue that would make you a convert. There is so much good stuff that Gillen is doing here. It's absolutely phenomenal because it goes through Scott's entire life. He's fighting the man with claws. He sees a redhead in his entire universe at that moment shifts to center around her. It touches on his relationship with Emma, calling her, you know, the exact thing he doesn't want, but the exact thing he needs at the moment, what the redhead could never be. It's all so good, and it just gets to the core of this character who's dealing with all of this stress and anxiety of being the figurehead of this mutant world. And it's just so freaking good, and I love it so much. Well, and we should acknowledge that it's done with a great deal of economy. I mean, the whole oh, story yeah. is like 21 pages. So and very little text. At right. end of the day, there's very little text, but so many of the lines are just embedded in my head. Mm -hmm. Scott thinks of himself as, you know, this being of light and purity, and he remembers that Lucifer was an angel too. Lucifer right. was the being of light. He sees the white hot room and he hears a voice in there saying, Scott Summers, you are an idiot. Tell Logan I love the name of the school. And he falls back to earth. And it's just, guys, I like this issue a lot. Yeah, Gillen definitely knows what he's doing here. Um, and it's, it's great art pairing with this. It's done very, very well. So um, we currently have... 228. Wow. Uh, that's a ton of stories, man. Uh, number one, I know, is... that'd be 2000 pounds of stories. And <laughs> that's not, if we took all these in floppies, we're still not at 2000 pounds. That's true. We're we, not quite we're there. Probably, we're probably at like six to 800 pounds of story. Yeah. I mean, given that each one of these might be multiple issues, we're, we're, we're doing pretty good. Um, top of the list days of future past bottom, uh, the Draco, but AVX, clocks in here at a reasonable 94 on our list um sort of about the halfway mark so i'm assuming you believe that this is better than avx i i think this is better than the uncanny x-men volume 2 avx everything is sinister world at 48 so I yeah agree. yeah i agree so that's probably a better comparison point so now We've talked before about, you know, uh, sort of nostalgia points influencing our rankings, but this yes. is a very well-crafted issue that I agree, like nails the character. So how high on the list would you, uh, who are acknowledging this is your favorite issue of all time, how high would you want to go? This is very tough. Um, <laughs> here, here's a recent reference point I know for sure. I could not see myself putting this below New Mutants Dead Souls. I couldn't see myself putting it below the first three issues of Generation X, which are at 25 and 23, respectively. Now, for me personally, me personally, and this is this is Zachary Jenkins speaking. Mm. I have I used my full name on this podcast before? Wild if I haven't. Uh, 
I think this is better than number 12 Supernovas, but probably not as good as the issue that Colossus fights Juggernaut in the bar. I'm willing to hear out anything else because I understand that I am uh, compromised. I am going to recommend that this go in between supernovas and the mutant massacre or somewhere around the, the, another really good comparison point here is at number 14, which is the first three issues of Cullen Bunn's Magneto, which again, like nails the super good, right? That that Magneto is super good. I just read that within the last, I don't remember when we ranked Magneto, but I just read that read that whole run because yeah. it was very good. Similarly, at number sixteen, we have Cockrum's Nightcrawler miniseries. Again, nails the character like perfect for who Nightcrawler is. I uh, think so this is better than both of those. I really, I really do. Okay, I don't think that I would put this ahead of Supernovas. Um, just my personal preferences. I, I like the art and the writing and the pacing of that arc. I think it's got a little bit more substance than this. Um, I think that I think that's fair. Supernovas is one standalone story where this loses all meaning if you haven't read the other stuff around it. Sure, I, I can so appreciate is it that. Better or worse than Mutant Massacre? I say better. All right. Then this would be our new number 13. I was worried this story was going to do worse than that. No, uh, I guys check this issue out. It's crazy good. Yeah. Jordan White uh, today on Twitter shared, shared with me part of the script for it because I asked him incredibly detailed pedantic questions. He said, Zach, that was so many years ago. Let me check what I have. <laughs> He found it the next. He's like, I'm at home with my child right now, but wait till I get into the office. We'll see what I can do. That was nice of him. He certainly didn't have to do that. It was. Uh, it just said blank caption box. That's what. Oh. That's, that's what Kieran Gillen wrote. I love that. That's great. It's very good. Oh, this is such a good issue. Uh, the Passion of Scott Summers. Uh, I could literally talk about it for a half hour, and we're darn close. But we're going to move on now. Well, because there have been other times where uh, our good friend Scott Summers has, um, you know, been merged with <laughs> large, impressive forces and escaped later on. And, oh, no, uh, not the search for Cyclops again. <laughs> so this next issue is interesting because it's uh, it's a bit of a like a camping trip for Scott and Corsair. Yeah, this is Uncanny X-Men 391 Dad. Written by professional comic book writer Scott Lobdell, with pencils by current Uncanny X-Men penciler Salvador Laroca. A bit you mentioned the irony of this that that Salvador Laroca is currently doing the uh, resurrected Cyclops, and here he here he is. Uh, what year is this? Two thousand and one, and I don't know if it's irony, uh, per se. I do think it's a wild and unexpected coincidence. Yeah, let's let's go with that. So, uh, Dad comes on the heels of what? What has been happening to Scott previous to this? 
Uh, the search for Cyclops actually right, happened, right? which is uh, which resulted in his death and resurrection. Correct? Yeah, he became he became part Apocalypse, and then yes. everyone did like one or two issue alternate universe series that went nowhere. Guys, the twelve is bad. We're mm. gonna have to talk about that at some time. Love Alan Davis to death. He did a bad story there. Alan Davis. Alan Davis did a bad on that one. Uh, Alan Davis, come on, man. I love you. Come on. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Cyclops died for like six months and then he came back. And uh, yeah, this is him wearing his costume from uh, the X Men movie, mm-hmm. um, waiting for the Grant Morrison run to start. <laughs> yeah, we're right before Eve of Destruction here. And Scott is motorbiking into the woods just in time to reunite with Corsair, where they can have some very, very awkward conversations while going fishing um, and realizing that, wow, they don't have a great relationship, do they? To be fair, Corsair pushed him out of an airplane and then disappeared for several years until him and Scott accidentally ran into each other in the vast nothingness of outer space. Yes, where they didn't acknowledge their relationship until Scott figured it out by shaving, correct? <laughs> That's the long and short of it, yes. Chris Claremont yes. was younger than us when he wrote that. Let's so that this is an opportunity for Lobdell to uh, have Cyclops actually confront Corsair about this and actually say, hey, why didn't you come back for us? And um, I'm not sure that that's, it's resolved very well, but uh, Corsair kind of comes off as a deadbeat dad dummy here, I think, a little bit. See? Okay, so that's interesting to me because I think it gets resolved I say resolved is probably not the best word. I think this gets addressed very naturally. Uh, sure. Uh, because what it comes down to is Corsair essentially having to deal with the fact that, hey, uh, I went through some trauma. My kids got pushed out of an airplane uh, so that they didn't die. And then I got abducted, found out aliens were real, had my wife murdered in front of me and became a slave for a couple of years. So I was going through some stuff at the time. Uh, and then all I could think about was revenge and becoming a space pirate. And then you kind of think that life gets away from you. <laughs> Which, you know, the long and short of it is a, is a pretty good explanation. Uh, it's, it doesn't quite address Scott's question. Um, but at the why same he time, didn't come back the moment he had a spaceship and knew the earth was still around. Yeah, exactly. of course. Corsair, um, not the best dad. I love him so much. <laughs> not the best father. Yeah. We do get a full uh, page splash of Corsair kind of like trying to say I love you to Scott and him saying it back without actually either of them saying it. And uh, Very good. it ends with, uh, you know, a little cuddling by a tent. So, all right. You know, points for Corsair making, a, making an effort here. Um, but. Uh, you know, what what do you think of this? Because I don't think LaRocca's art really does the story much, you know, any favors here um, for, for something that's trying to be set in this pastoral landscape and, you know, be this camping story. I, I just, I wish that we could pay Russell Dodderman to go back in time and illustrate this issue for us again. Look, you're not wrong. <laughs> I, I don't think, uh, I don't think LaRocca's art, uh, does too much damage to this one. It's not probably the best fit. 
but I think there's still some real good emotive moments in this, uh, some good character acting in it. I think that Scott Lobdell's Scott Lobdell's script here really speaks to me. So you want us to get you want us to get real personal and real human for a second on our joke joke about X Men podcast. Hey, whatever you're comfortable with, Zach. Yeah, we're gonna go there. Uh, so I came from a family that was divorced. Like I. I still have a good relationship with both of my parents. I got to see them my entire life, but my parents divorced when I was very young around kindergarten age. So I deeply relate to Scott's questions of why did you leave? What caused this to happen? You know, why isn't our relationship where I feel like it should be or where it could be given different choices were made? I relate deeply to Scott because it doesn't matter how rational a situation was. It doesn't matter how much you as a adult can understand what's going on. The five-year-old kid is pissed off. Mm. And I really do think that Lobdell gets that across here and it may not work for everyone. For me, I really understand it. And I love that it comes to a point where, they both accept that you know they are family and that they mean well now and that they say, yeah, everyone screwed up in the past and there's not much we can do to change that. I love all of that stuff. I also like that it ends – it doesn't end with Scott and his dad being best friends. It ends with there's, there's unresolved issues that are probably never going to get resolved. And that really works for me. So I love the writing in this. I don't think you're wrong when you say that LaRocca may not be the best fit for this story. But I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of good to be mined here uh, to tell that particular story. Sure. No, I can agree uh, with all of that. I think that, you know, depending on what uh, <laughs> anyone's relationship with their parents uh, may or may not have been uh, – bringing that to a story like this, where there's this disconnect and this distance between these two characters can definitely add some emotional weight to it. Um, I, I don't know if this is really like the best written thing in the world. Um, however, we have seen Lubdell really succeed when he has these more quiet issues uh, to explore interpersonal relationships between the characters. And yeah, this, this is, is something... a, this is a lot closer to like Generation X sad teens Scott sure. Lobdell than it yeah. is Uncanny X Men Big Guns Scott Lobdell. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, and it's a big difference from what he's going to jump into with Thieve of Destruction, which is an absolute mess. This this does seem pretty focused. It seems pretty tight. Um, yeah, it's wildly different than that incredibly bad story he's about to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, I I'm a little bit stumped as to where to rank this though because um, I I don't love it, and I don't think it's poor. I don't think it's incredibly like poorly done or anything like that. But um, I don't think I'm bringing as much emotional weight to this as as you might be. Yeah, no, this one just happens to hit me in a very deep, dark space. Y'all ever heard of daddy issues? Apparently, <laughs> some people have them. And regardless of how old you are, they can still get brought up. Oh, sure. Man, Dad, if you're listening to this episode, because I know you listened to the C2E2 episode, let's talk. I think there's a lot here. Aw, 
he did. Nice. He, he had very nice things to say about the C2E2 episode. I was That's very great. happy. He doesn't, There's no way that my father is ever listening to this show. So, uh, Oh, I don't know why my dad did either. <laughs> Love him to death. Weird choice to talk about, to come in here and talk or listen to the episode where I talk to a bunch of comics creators about what they've got going on right now. He's watched the X-Men movies, at least two of them, because I was there. Well, that was nice. That yeah, was he nice. took he took me to see X-Men 2000. Uh, we walked there. It was actually a really sweet moment. There you uh, go. It's, it's one of my very, very good memories uh, of see? Bonding that. over X-Men. Yeah, um, uh, I don't know how much he remembers of it. The, I probably told this on the air before. The projectionist screwed up during the climactic final scene with Rogue. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, so I remember that real well. Anyway, I think you're right. There, This is a mixed thing. Uh, how do you feel about it compared to 130 on our list, X-Men Gold, The Wedding of Not Kitty Pride and Colossus? Ooh, I think I like that better. I don't know. Okay, um, that's fine. Yeah, I think that kind of nails the, the emotional distress a little bit better. Um but I, Ooh, I found a good spot on the list. I found a good oh, spot. Good, good. yeah. A, give me, give a good, a lot of stuff together. Yeah. At 141, we have Gambit Volume 1, which I probably like, I think is probably a better story. Yeah. 142 is X-Men Origins Jean Grey, which I feel very similar to this story about. And then 143 is the time that Adam X the Extreme went camping with <laughs> Corsair's dad. Yeah, that's a good comparison point. But I think this uh, may edge out X-Men 39. What do you think? I think that's right. I I think the the Mike Mayhew are in Uncanny or yeah, X-Men Origins Jean Grey is real good. So I think I think we can put Uncanny 391 there. It's going to be a mixed bag. I think I think for a handful of people, you're really going to love this story. Uh for mm-hmm. some others you might not, and that's okay. Yeah. Uh, definitely worth checking out if you were a fan of the uh, Cyclops solo that was around for a couple of years. Uh, oh yeah, you could you could just read that better. It was around for twelve issues. You could probably yeah, read that year. better. You could probably <laughs> read that better story about Cyclops and Corsair going camping that has the pre Russell Donnerman art. <laughs> All right. It's wild that Russell Donnerman was so good that he essentially he turned in his first script. Uh, his first pages for this, they looked at it and they said, hold on, can he stay on time? And then he, they sent the second one in and he said, okay, hey, uh, you're going to finish this third issue and then you're going to relaunch Thor. <laughs> you're so the, good, Russell. I don't is, know. That is the correct response. And it's so cool to me that um, that they're releasing this War of the Realms, Art of the Realms uh, book with his stuff because he's just incredible. All right. Yeah. Um, uh, minor friend of the show, Russell Dodderman, is very good. I say minor because <laughs> he's only been on the show for like five minutes. But now we have uh, a more modern take on Cyclops uh, and his anxieties uh, to finish off here, right? Yeah. Cyclops has more than two problems, guys. <laughs> this. So, where are we going? We are going to the far past of 2017 Mm. uh, to talk about Champions Volume 2, Number 12. This was written by Mark Wade uh, with pencils by Umberto Ramos. It's an issue of Champions about Cyclops uh, getting his emotions all messed up. Yeah, this is uh, 05 in the present 
Cyclops, uh, courtesy of Bendis. And uh, I never quite understood how Cyclops was both on all new X-Men and champions. Do you know how to explain that? He took pickles uh, wherever he needed to. He just danced oh, okay. over to the champions. I can get into that. So it's, it, it's I, I the don't pickles know defense. True. Yeah, it's <laughs> pickles solves a lot of plot holes. Uh, pickles for people who don't know we're not talking about uh cucumbers that you've sat in vinegar for a while uh we're no. talking we're talking about a bamf a very mm-hmm. small night crawler uh that would teleport people places aka a hell maggot um but um <laughs> whatever happened to pickles where's pickles we're gonna have to ask daddy hickman Hickman, where's Pickles? I need to Hickman, know. Hickman, where's Pickles? Hickman, <laughs> Johnny, Johnny Hicks. Johnny Hicks, where's my picks? Because it is interesting. Um, Cyclops in uh, Mark Wade's Champions is very clearly part of this team. Um, his teammates care about him. He is going on adventures with them. And uh, the major plot about this is that uh, Scott is going haywire here. He's not yeah. having a great day. Uh, Psycho Man, who is a Avengers villain? I don't know. He's one of those like generic Marvel villains who's not good. He first, yeah, he first appeared in Fantastic Four. Oh, he's a Jack Kirby creation, but probably let's let's call him bottom tier Jack Kirby creation. I think that's fair. Sure. I mean, he's not really vital. It's more that he has a device that sends Scott's emotions into absolute like crazy land yeah uh he has an emotion box and scott summer shoots his emotion box with his laser eyes and then the emotion box energy go into his hippocampus and it kind of removes any and all filters for the day (laughs) and it's pretty great um and and you know he's sort of vacillating between these uh very different moods he's he's very hyper and manic at certain points he's getting sad and anxious and and the rest of his team is just trying to control him yeah at one point he does do the flyclops thing where he points his visor at the ground and just keeps going and then very quickly afterwards he explains to everyone why he's so tight wound because he could look at someone and kill them uh, with his laser eyes if he's not controlling it very well. Uh, and there's just, there's a lot to it. It does a lot to essentially cement for this team. Hey guys, Cyclops kind of is a boy scout, but that's by design because he is so afraid of making a mistake that he'll do anything to avoid it. Yeah, he's he's having uh, a a moment to let down his guard here, whether he wants it or not. And uh, it's really nice because at the end, he he really gets a chance to hear that these teammates of his are his friends, um, which is nice. I've never read this series at all, and it makes me want to go back and and check it out. I, I liked it. So here's the thing. It's it's not good. Should I skip it? I don't. Okay, so, you know, Mark Wade. Uh, uh, not personally <laughs> not personally he's not a friend of the show but mark if you want to come on and talk about onslaught <laughs> yeah we're here we're here mark uh no so uh the important thing is mark Wade did help write onslaught which means he's he's an aged gentleman uh and i don't even know how old he is he's older than you older than me uh and we're both not teens that is true 
Uh, so are so you trying to say that uh, he doesn't speak kid? There's a lot of hello fellow kids dot gif uh, <laughs> moments in here. Okay. Uh, this is this is a very good issue. A lot of this run does struggle with that. It it's so many good intentions, and I do not doubt that uh, Mark Wade is doing his best to address issues. And I love the concept of the team where uh, Ms. Marvel and Nova uh, from and Spider-Man from the Avengers, Miles Morales, Spider-Man, gets so fed up uh, with the Avengers infighting and like their dumb stuff that they say, screw you, we're going to start our own team and we're going to be cool and we're going to deal with the real issues. Uh, it's a great pitch. It's a great concept. I've been liking what Jim Zub has been doing with it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I, again, though, a friend of the show, Jim Zub, is not a teen and is pretty far removed from it. And I don't think we need to have a Jim Shooter situation where we have a teen writing this book. <laughs> but I'd love to get someone just a little bit, just a little bit closer to that because... Champions always feels just a tad bit off. It I means well. Funny. It means so well. Also, I like the Umberto Romo's art in this. I know he's a controversial artist in general, in that people don't like him uh, because his anatomy is just buck wild, but that's a feature, not a bug. And I think it works well here. I don't know. I generally like Ramos's art, and I think it's great here. Uh, it really sells the the different emotions that Cyclops is going through. And I think he kind of gets these characters and they're sort of like gangly teenage bodies. Like people look like they're supposed to look. They're on model. He does a very good job with silhouettes here mm. in shapes, mm -hmm. uh, which is a actually a very tricky skill because, you know, Hulk, different shape. Uh, Viv Vision, sure, different shape. Uh, Nova, Ms. Marvel, Spider-Man, and Cyclops kind of all could roughly fit in the same silhouette. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ramos does a very good job making them all feel different. Spider-Man's a little ganglier. Uh, Ms. Marvel's a little more fluid. Uh, Cyclops is like, you know, tall, skinny, and straight mm -hmm. as a board at all times. And then Nova, generic teen body, but you need like... You could use everything else, so you need something as your baseline. And I, I think I think his art works really well here. I like this issue. It's a fun issue. It's pretty inconsequential, uh, but it does what it set out to do well. Yeah, I thought it was fun. I mean, even if the rest of the series doesn't rise to this, um, as I said before, it made me want to read more of the series. So uh, it definitely works as a standalone. And um, where do you think, let, let's look at maybe some other things that might involve uh, Spider-Man. <laughs> Yeah, I was looking around at 137. We have Spidey in the X-Men 1 and 2. I think this is... Uh, oh, hold on. I can't... This this is not better than 129 Ms. Marvel healing factor, where no. Ms. Marvel and Wolverine team up. Hold on. And I also don't think it's better than 139 Glob loves man kills. Mm, Glob, Glob does love and man does kill. Yeah, so, okay, hold on. I'm starting to... It's better than way down. It's better than 148 New Mutants Truth or Death. I think that I think that for me is true. 
I agree, and I think it's better than Uncanny X-Men 300. Adam, Adam, Adam. It better than cocaine? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> it's not. And above that is to protect and serve, which I think is another good like teen story. And I think that the protect and serve is better than this too. So I would put this at 147. What would you Man, do? I, I agree. I agree right there. Boom. Uh, this, this is our new 147 champions. 12, not a bad story. No, by any mean, uh, just, <laughs> Man, it's weird because we had more mean things to say about Uncanny X-Men 391. And it's several, it's like four spots above this. <laughs> uh, well, but, but this is fun, but it's also kind of throwaway. So uh, yeah. if, you like your, if you like your 05 Cyclops, uh, definitely check this issue out. It's fun. Man, I think we learned a lot about each other uh, on this episode. I think we had a lot of thoughts and feelings and... It was good. I enjoyed yeah, Scott it. Will, Scott will bring that out in you, you know? I, I love Cyclops so much. He's my favorite. In <laughs> fact, just today, actually, last night, I was goofing off. And while I was like, I wanted like 20 minutes of not thinking. So I went on to uh, Kevin Wada, uh, his Twitter account, where he's doing hashtag paper X-Men, where he's just doing these paper dolls of X-Men that you can just draw whatever costumes you want on them. Heck and while... Yeah. Some members of this podcast use that to draw very intricate shapes and colors <laughs> and gambit dressed as Henry VIII. <laughs> I just put Cyclops in a hoodie and a white and gray outfit, and then Adam drew it. Adam, Adam took Adam took the the bare bones of maybe some of these design elements would be cool. Who knows? What if we tried a whole different color scheme with Cyclops? And then Adam was like, okay, wait, but what if it was good? <laughs> well, I do have the advantage of having uh, a tablet with a, with the stylus. So if you had that, I think, I think your drawing would be even better. I have uh, access to it. I just don't steal my wife's stylus. All right. All right. Maybe we got to get I was using that. No, see, Adam, I don't want to be good at art. <laughs> That's the problem. I have no desire to put any of the time into it. Well, then I you do, just keep like drawing coloring. with you. Just keep drawing with that finger. I'm going to do my best. This index finger is going to draw several comics in the future. <laughs> anyway, we have a anyway that was on Cyclops. I think that's why it was related. We've lost track of the thread. That's here. okay. Uh, I want to thank Saad Althani uh, for being a big supporter of the Patreon and for suggesting that we talk about some Cyclops stuff. I had a lot of fun on this episode. And I hope y'all did too. Turns out I can talk about Cyclops at length. If you want to hear more about me talking about Cyclops at length, you can go on over to patreon.com slash Xavier Files and be like Sod and say, Zach, talk about Cyclops more. And I'll say fine if I have to, I guess. Uh, the $2 a month level gets you to uh, suggest whatever story you would like. And then we will do that. Uh, there's other levels. Uh, we, in fact, have a new goal that I want to announce on this podcast today. If the Patreon hits the $300 a month level, I will do a 12-episode miniseries podcast where me and a friend of the show, uh, Luz Bianca, will go through and talk about every episode of the X-Men anime. <laughs> Luz likes Luz likes uh, Sailor Moon and 
other anime stuff. I don't. Luz hasn't seen this. I know what we're in for. I think it'll be really fun. It's a project I've wanted to do for a while. And I think having a short form, like a limited series thing is the best format for it. Agreed. I think that's an awesome idea. I would listen to that. Look, I'm... As a social obligation, you're going to have to lie to me at least about listening to it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I would actually listen to it. Uh, Uh, By the way, the show is free on Crackle, which is an app that you can put on your smart device. hmm. Uh, If you want to to get prepped for this, uh, you can give us money to make this happen. Uh, We're we're not super close right now on the Patreon, but like with, with some support, we could get there pretty quick. So... Want to plug that here and now. Uh, also, you can go to XavierFiles.com. That's where I have all the latest and greatest in X-Men news uh, and articles about X-Men stuff. Or Twitter.com slash XavierFiles or Twitter at XavierFiles where I talk about <laughs> just stuff. I'm trying, to be, I'm trying to be such a positive person right now and only say nice things about things and just not be mean or negative about things because I think from a health perspective... That's going to put me in a better spot. Adam. Hey. What, what, what you got going on? <laughs> Guys, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. Uh, I've got new pages of Bish and Jubes, the cross time conundrum coming out every X-Men Monday on adamrec.tumblr.com. Um, and speaking of stretch goals, you know, like reach goals, if you go to Patreon, uh, my Patreon, which, uh, what is that? Patreon.com slash Adam something like yeah, that. Yeah. You've got to know the URL, my dude. Uh, there is a stretch goal of my dream project, which would be to eventually do an homage to the, um, Jim Lee X-Men, uh, trading card series, which I, I would love to do eventually. So if you, if you like want art in your inbox every day and want to contribute towards getting to that reach goal, uh, head over uh, there and get cool stuff. Okay. Uh, we've got a big episode next episode, don't we? Yeah. So next week is the week of the Dark Phoenix Saga movie. Dun, well, dun, it's just called Dark Phoenix. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, our queen in the north, Sophie Turner. Uh, and this is not a Game of Thrones spoiler because, again, the finale has yet to happen as we're recording this. Uh, hopefully the queen in the north. You'll tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, is going all Dark Phoenix. So, uh, spoilers for Game of Thrones. Uh, Sansa is going to do a Daenerys, and it's going to be interesting. Uh, <laughs> man, man. It, after watching that episode, I was like, wow, I guess I'm going to be excited for uh, excited for Dark Phoenix because it could not <laughs> get less set up than this. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited for uh, Sophie Turner to put on that X-Men The Last Stand overcoat and, and burn some stuff. It's going to be great. But do you know what I'm even more excited about? Uh, dude, we've been waiting to do this for a long time. What are we doing next episode? Uh, Jay edited from Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men is going to be hanging out with us and we're going to talk about some darky Phoenixy stuff. And yes. brother, I'm here for this cr- crossover to last the ages. <laughs> this is going to be a good one, folks. Can't miss it. I mean, you won't be able to. I'm going to be hitting that retweet button on social media more than usual. <laughs> but until then, this has been Battle of the Atom, and we hope you survived the experience. Get it!
and then there's going to be a musical drop right here where there's a band called Coheed and Cambria that has a song that goes, it's in the stars and you're my everything from here to Mars. And then it's just going to cut right there. <laughs>